The WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the WPTF Weekend Gardener. Mike Riley here, Miss Clapp over there. Good morning. How you doing, Ann? I'm doing fine for an old lady. Well, how about uh, got the Secretary, former Secretary of State, Attorney General, uh, Deputy Chief Counsel on the Senate Watergate Committee, and the current Secretary General of Gardening. Sitting there, Rufus Edmonston. Sir, how are well, you? Well, as Hap Hansen would say, howdy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brother Hap. Yeah. So, and Phil Campbell is here, owner of Campbell Road Nursery. And uh, we are joined. Uh, I was so honored to have Dr. Denny Warner with us this morning. Mm-hmm. Dr. Warner um, is a retired from NC State University, I and think. And that's a good place to be I retired think, Yeah, it is. Uh, but he's a distinguished professor emeritus at uh, NC State University mm-hmm. in horticulture, of course. Dr. Werner, thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. Hey, thank you very much for the kind invitation. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to hear you're still going down there on the what's left of NC State. Are you? Uh, what do you mean, what's left? It's, it keeps, it's yeah. going to take over the city. It's about in my backyard already. I tell you, I'm amazed at what's yeah. going on there now. So, Doctor, are you teaching anything at, at, the, at the NC State? right now or i am not right now no uh, i did retire a few years ago i am a semi-active emeritus professor i i still engage in a uh, little bit of research on my redbud breeding <clears throat> at my pleasure okay oh wow that that is something we're definitely have to talk about but i wanted to start this morning to ask you about your grandchildren how are they oh they're doing they're doing <laughs> fine i have three grandchildren now it's always great to talk about one's grandchildren absolutely uh, both my daughters and the three grandchildren now live in colorado so i don't get a chance to see them as frequently as i'd like and of course with the pandemic uh, travel has been restricted but uh, hopefully this uh late this spring and summer things turn around and uh, get an opportunity to, to do a little more traveling to go out and see them yeah definitely well you had you you never worked with John Harris, I, I'm assuming. Uh, I did not. No, I certainly heard his name 
many, many times, but I did not know him personally and, and never worked with him. That's correct. He I is. Uh, oh, we did work with him. He is the first, uh, I, the last uh, professor, NC State professor emeritus we've had on. Yeah. John was on last with us uh, when he was uh, or sometime around his, his 95th birthday. Yeah. And he and his wife were sitting in here before the show, and he said, Mike, don't ask me anything about gardening. <laughs> I said, well, we got three hours to kill here, uh, John. But uh, So you, I assume you're not going to tell us that, to, to not talk no, about gardening. You can ask me anything about gardening. I'm not sure I have all the answers, but there's a, you have some uh, colleagues there uh, with you who can certainly fill in any gap. Absolutely. So uh, you are, are – Best known for developing plants, propagation, lot, lots of things, actually. Red buds, budly eyes, uh, butterfly bushes, of course, and uh, peaches, of all things. I didn't realize right. you were into yeah. peaches, too. Yeah, uh, when I started here in uh, 1979, actually, is when I started at, at NC State. I was hired as a uh, stone fruit breeder, primarily working with peaches and nectarines. And for your uh, listeners who don't know, nectarine is uh, basically a fuzzless peach, very uh, closely related genetically. So for about uh, the first 20 years, I I was a peach breeder and spent a lot of time down at the Sands Hills Research Station in Montgomery County, which uh, is, is still an important peach growing region of the state. And then about, uh, oh, the late 1990s, I... I shifted over into ornamental plant breeding, and that's when I began my red bud and my butterfly bush work. And I don't work with butterfly bush anymore, but I, I still continue to do some of the work with uh, with red bud, which is a, a plant that I very much enjoy working with. Now, the, the peaches, you helped develop Derby and Contender and Carolina Bell and Carolina Gold, a lot of things, that, the peaches that we enjoy today. And uh, Yeah, um, I, I had a... I'm very fortunate to be in the peach breeding program. Uh, it was a lot of fun doing that work, and it, it's gratifying to have released some some varieties that have found a niche in the commercial industry and that have uh, have recognition <clears throat> in the consumer group. Uh, Carolina Gold, as you mentioned, uh, China Pearl is a big, large, white flesh, low acid peach that we release. Contender is probably the one that has the most identity. I see that variety uh, carried in a lot of home gardening catalogs. A lot of mail order catalogs tend to carry Contender because it's uh, it's very cold hardy and uh, it takes a pretty, uh, pretty devastating winter or spring to uh, eliminate a crop on a Contender. So it's, uh, it's been gratifying to see just how successful that variety has been, and that was released. Oh, that was released about 1986. So it's been in the trade now. Uh, gosh, for over 30 years. So, have you worked with ornamental peaches at all? <clears throat> I've done a little bit of work with ornamental peaches, uh, just as a consequence of our genetic studies uh, that I did in peach many years ago. We would we would use some ornamental types uh, in our research program, and we've developed some interesting ornamental forms. Probably the most well-known group uh, is what is known as the Corinthian series of ornamental peaches. Those were four different varieties uh, 
different flower colors, different leaf colors that had the uh, columnar growth habits. Uh, Dr. Rostin at that time encouraged me to release some of those. He liked the character of those. Those, those Corinthian varieties that we bred came out of an old Japanese variety called Pillar, P-I-L-L-A-R. And we developed uh, four varieties, Corinthian white, pink, rose, and Corinthian mauve. And uh, they're still available in the trade. It's been over 20 years since they were since they were released. And we are working on a new ornamental peach variety right now that hopefully will be released later this year or early in 2022. Uh, your your uh, listeners who walked the J.C. Rustin Arboretum may be familiar with a double red dwarf peach that uh, is uh, located right at the beginning of the perennial border mm-hmm. in the Arboretum. And we've used that in some crosses and have developed a, a variety out of that double red form uh, that has uh, purple leaf color in addition to the double red flower. So that oh, wow. will be coming along here pretty shortly. We're, that, that's really we're exciting. We have a oh. name for that one, and uh, it's ready to be commercially deployed probably in 2022. Yeah, the, you know, the, right now the uh, the prunus mume, the flowering apricot, is uh, very popular in Raleigh. I walk under one every day on my walking route, and uh, mm-hmm. you get a little whiff. You know, not all of them have a lot of fragrance, but this one has a lot of fragrance. I don't know which variety it is, but I, I'm I'm amazed. Uh, do most of the uh, ornamental peaches, uh, peach blossoms, have fragrance? No, there's no detectable fragrance in uh, in peach, unfortunately. So the large, the largely the the ornamental character is the foliage color and the the flower color, and the, there's a variation in peach for single versus double flowers. Double flower referring to the fact that the flower has extra petals and has a much fuller, richer look to it. Doctor, one of there must there must be some relationship of kinship between the bark of the prunus mume and the peach peach tree because I if I didn't see the the blooms I'd think that the, the bark of a prunus mume was a peach tree. Mm. Yeah, they're they're very closely related. In fact, uh, uh, I suspect that uh, if one tried hard enough, one might be able to uh, hybridize those uh, with difficulty. But yeah, they're both in the same genus. They're both in the genus prunus. Uh, Peaches prunus persica, somewhat of a a geographic misnomer because originally it was thought that uh, the peach was native to Persia, (laughs) present-day Iran, but in fact, peach is is native to China, Uh, and prunus mumei is a very close relative of peach. Both very, very beautiful trees in flower, and it won't be long until we see peaches blooming in the sand hills. That's right. Before we uh, continue with with uh, talking more about uh, the butterfly bushes and uh, mm-hmm. the red buds and all of that. Uh, we have Gail on the line. I'm not sure what Gail's question is. Gail, good morning. Welcome to the Weekend Gardener. Good morning, and thank you. I have three questions. Uh, the one is my mealy grass. Uh, it needs to be separated. Should I separate it in the ground, or should I dig it up and then separate it? Does it matter? Doctor, do you uh, separate muley grass? Uh, I don't have too much muley grass in my personal garden. 
yeah, you can separate muley grass, and I think I would just uh, dig it up, separate the crown, and uh, reestablish those divisions. Uh, okay. Perhaps some of your other uh, colleagues there might like to weigh in on that. I don't have a lot of experience with muley. Phil, do you uh, you sell muley grass we a do. lot of it, and what what do you tell your customers? Uh, we do. Um, I would I would do the same thing that um, that. <clears throat> Excuse me, the maple trees are killing me this morning. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I would do the same thing. That um, uh, it's hard to call you Doctor Warner, Denny. <laughs> so I'm just going to call you Denny. Yeah, uh, from on out, just call me Denny. Okay. <laughs> um, I would do the same thing that um, that Denny suggested. Um, I would dig it up, and then um, you can take a a shovel or a really like an old butcher knife or something like that, and just. Uh, don't come running so, out of the house. Yeah, don't, don't come running out of the house with your husband <laughs> or something. Uh, but, um, yeah, just separate those and, and plant them back, and they should be fine. Here comes Phil with a butcher knife. No, <laughs> hey, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I, also want I, live, I live down the road from her. I better be careful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if you see me standing out beside the road, watch That's it. right. Make a note of Yes, that. ma'am, Gail. What's, what else? Uh, is there a sun-tolerant azalea? Yes. Um to to my liking, I think that the um, um, oh yeah, starts with an E. Encore, encore, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. The encore um, is probably more sun tolerant than most. So, um, Denny, Denny, what, have you worked with any uh, developing any uh, uh, azaleas, uh, the twice blooming azaleas? Uh? I have not. Uh, there's. There's a lot of different people involved in azalea breeding, and I just didn't feel there needed to be another one involved. <laughs> uh, one, uh, I feel correct. The Encore series uh, is very sun tolerant. In fact, if you read the the tag on an Encore azalea or read the uh, cultural suggestions, it will state that uh, they flower very poorly if they're put in too much shade. Mm-hmm. They actually need considerable sun to, to perform well. <clears throat> and uh, one, one uh, azalea or slash rhododendron that I have grown is rhododendron austrinum, the Florida azalea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a native azalea, as the name implies. It's, uh, it's native to Florida in the deep south, but it grows pr- uh, very well here. I have a number of those in my home garden, and they, they tolerate uh, considerable sun mm-hmm. and heat. They're very, very heat tolerant. Are they evergreen? I'm sorry? Are they evergreen? Uh, they are semi-evergreen, yes. For the most part, I have fully green <clears> on those during the during the winter months. In a very cold winter, they'll drop quite a few of their leaves. But in a relatively normal winter like this one, temperature-wise at least, uh, they uh, they retain a considerable amount of their foliage over the winter. All right, Gail, uh, does that help? It does. Now, the area where I want to put it, it gets probably, I would say, like morning sun, maybe mid-afternoon, so I don't know. Maybe Perfect. I should go with an azalea that's just not specific to heat or shade. I think Encore is probably going to be a really good fit for you. Yeah, okay. it seems to be very tolerant. And they bloom like three or four times a year. long as you get a good root system established. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that was the other thing. It's an ever-blooming or re-blooming yeah, it can. It can. I had my encore azaleas bloomed almost all of the fall, mm-hmm. uh, late summer into 
fall and, and part of the winter, and then you know, it really started getting cold. And it, it's popped out a few blooms here in the last couple of weeks, yeah, too. I have, we have some at the nursery that are blooming, too. Yeah. So, yeah. I found that in camellias and azaleas that they will tolerate more. Both of them will tolerate more sun than yep. generally thought. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of of having more sun. Mm-hmm. All right, you said you had another question, Gail? Yeah, my dianthus. It comes back every year. Uh, but I'm going to say it looks leggy. It looks like the roots are kind of out of the ground. It just looks leggy. Um, I don't know if I should dig it up and replant it or why it looks. Your dianthus? What yeah. kind is it? Oh, I don't know. Okay. It probably needs to be separated out again. It's probably spread like the muley grass, and there's mm-hmm. probably a lot of of root structure there, and you probably need to uh, dig it up and separate it out and give it a new okay. life. When we uh, okay. we plant bulbs, we, we take on a lot of work or yeah. possibly a lot of work, a lot of separation. We have to remember right. to separate because they get, they get all cluttered, clogged, clogged up there, yep. not enough room to... To grow and to thrive, and you you have to do that with muley grass and and iris and a lot of other things. Gail, thank you very much for calling. Okay, thank you for your yes, ma'am. Thank you. More of the weekend gardener coming up here on WPTF. It's eight twenty four. For forty years, it was the Tar Heel Gardener, and since then, the Weekend Gardener has invited you into their backyard. A WPTF tradition since nineteen forty five. We're back on WPTF with the Weekend Gardener. Mike Rayley here along with Ann Clapp, Rufus Edmondson, Phil Campbell, and Dr. Denny Werner, a distinguished professor emeritus from North Carolina State, retired or semi-retired. It's uh, a good place reti- to retire. <laughs> but uh, do you think you may be teaching any uh, again there? Uh, you think you'll go back? And- I, uh, I don't believe so. Uh, I enjoyed my teaching very much. I, I taught courses in plant propagation, uh, plant genetics, and also, of course, in uh, gardening with herbaceous perennials. Uh, but at this time, I have no no plans to teach. I, right. I'll leave that up to my colleague, Bryce Lane. Bryce is retired, but, you know, he's teaching as much now as he did when, <laughs> when he was uh, on the payroll. So oh, wow. Well, he, he has a passion for teaching, and right now I have the passion for continuing my breeding work with red buds. All right, we'll talk about that coming up. Bob is in Harnett County. Bob, good morning. You're on WPTF. we got a couple of minutes before news. How can we help you? All right, I have a, a small piece, about uh, three-quarters of an acre of, of land that is treed. I went in, and I've cut out the brush and some of the small trees, and I'm looking to do some planting in there, and I would like to have some ideas on some uh, uh, some colorful plants that I can put in amongst the, the trees. It will be... Uh, a partially shaded area. So you want shrubs, uh, shrubs mainly? Uh, yeah, well, he's that. We did, we already been talking about him, Bob. Azaleas yeah. and camellias. Yeah. Azaleas and camellias are what to have. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Werner, or what do you think? Yeah, those are certainly two two good options. Uh, you know, I, I think if you have a semi-shaded area, it's a nice place to consider putting in some bulbs, also. Uh, if there's deer pressure, certainly put in some narcissus that where deer won't be a problem. All right. Uh, I uh, I have and I have about a third of an acre of a of a loblolly pine wood lot at the rear of my property, and 
I have quite a few of the cold hardy cyclamen in there that are flowering right now. They're quite they're quite beautiful. So besides the shrubs, think about some of those uh, uh, those perennial species, the herbaceous materials that uh, provide some color uh, uh, during the late winter, early spring. All right, Linton Lent, mm-hmm. rose, of course, can be used. Yeah, in, yeah, in that true. setting. And what about dogwoods, though? Huh? Perfect. Yeah, you could you could use dogwoods. The Korean dogwoods uh, seem to be a little hardier. But um, if you want to hold on, Bob, you can do that. Uh, otherwise, we got to go. All right. I thank you very much. Thank you, Bob, thank you. very much. Good luck with that. Call us back if you have any more questions. I, I will. Thank you. More of the weekend. Boy, he sounds <coughs> like a tough guy. More of the weekend. Uh-huh. Gar- <laughs> more of the weekend gardener coming up. Let's get back to the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. We're back on WPTF with the Weekend Gardener. Mike Rayley here and Clap, Doctor Clap, Textile Chemistry. Uh, we had, we got to, well, we have a JD over there, Juris Doctorate. We got uh, Brother Rufus there, and uh, Doctor Denny Warner Werner is uh, joining us this morning, distinguished professor emeritus from NC State University. It's the good show, to be emeritus from there. The show was started by a, uh, in 1945 by a, a professor at NC State University, John mm-hmm. Harris. So we're uh, yes. we've had quite a connection to NC State over the years. And uh, Phil Campbell is with us, also an NC State graduate. That's right. Well, Denny, you, you might be calling yourself a, a wrong title. We had this preacher at Three Forks Baptist Church one time where I grew up, and he invited a great minister to come to the revival who had gotten his, his doctorate from uh, off a match cover correspondence school. And Reverend Victor Griffith got up to introduce him. He said, this is Dr. Bob Davis Emeritus. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll stop using that term. <laughs> oh, well. Emeritus. Do- Doctor, I um, am uh, my church is a proud owner of a, a Ruby Falls weeping red bud. And it is it's just a real focal point at St. Michael's uh, Episcopal Church. Uh, then it's a beautiful campus anyway, but... Uh, that uh, we we have this concrete large concrete pad area, and they had uh, folks over the years on the grounds committee had tried all kinds of things. And the, it, when I uh, got there, there were azaleas in 1987 when I started going to church there. There were azaleas in this plot. And they they always looked horrible, and they tried some <laughs> knockout roses, and of course uh, rose rosette took over there. So we we uh, we got this. Uh, from uh, Miss Phil, this uh, beautiful Ruby Falls red bud, and planted it, and it's it's just the most interesting plant year round there, and um, that's your baby. Yeah, very good. I'm glad it's doing well for you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that. and there's a striking one out at the J.C. Ralston Arboretum. Oh yeah, just yeah. striking. Yeah, yeah, that's one uh, that I released back around 2008. It's a a weeping form of red bud with purple leaves. And that was one of the uh, very first varieties that I released after I started breeding red buds in the late 1990s. It took about eight or nine years to to develop that. But that's been a very successful variety. It's, uh, it's uh, been it's done quite well uh, across the eastern United States. I see it in a lot of catalogs, so it's very gratifying to see how successful that plant has been. And the site you have described is just a 
a perfect site for it. They used it as a single specimen plant. It, it's a really well intended for that type of use. Yeah, well, it is. It certainly works, and it it grows. It it weeps down to the ground and starts, uh, you know, kind of curling out a little bit, uh, creeping out sure. a little bit, and the <laughs> the uh, yeah. some of the folks on the grounds committee have uh, have trimmed it a little bit. Uh, from that standpoint, but not too. You really something that weeps. You really don't want to trim it too much, do you? You don't. I mean, it, it is interesting. Uh, those, those weeping red buds, if, if they're allowed to grow close to the ground, they essentially would form a ground cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what I find is uh, just a little bit of thinning, pruning every now and then. Uh, some of those weeping forms tend to get a little bit, as I call it, twiggy. And just uh, opening them up and taking out a little bit of the growth occasionally, uh, what I call thinning cuts, uh, is helpful. But, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're beautiful trees, as you say, architecturally in the winter. They're striking just with the branch structure and the, uh, the, the color, particularly in the spring and into early summer when that new growth is emerging. Yeah, it's shiny maroon. It just... Yeah. Uh. It's wonderful. Yeah, I'm and, very proud of that release. That one has done very, very well. Now you have uh, you you have many others uh, that that you've uh, developed. Uh, any other weeping form weeping varieties? Yeah, um, we uh, at that time uh, we released a another weeping form called White Water. Uh, White Water is a weeping form with variegated leaves. Some of your Listeners may be familiar with the redbud called Silver Cloud. Uh, and then there's another variegated leaf form called Floating Cloud. These are variegated forms that have uh, green and white variegation on the leaves. Uh, white water has uh, uh, the weeping growth habit and the variegated leaf character. And most recently, last year actually, we released a companion to Ruby Falls. It's a gold leaf weeper called Golden Falls. So now we, we have uh, uh, a, a companion to, to Ruby Falls. And uh, Golden Falls was just recently released, and just really it's uh, just now becoming available in the trade. I, I saw photos on Facebook of mm-hmm. – it looked like huge fields of, of that plant, of the Golden Falls. Yeah, what, yeah, what, you, uh, what you probably saw were images of production fields in Tennessee – Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the red buds in the eastern U.S. are, are propagated in central Tennessee and that uh, uh, in those beautiful, rich soils of central Tennessee around the town of McMinnville mm-hmm. and areas south. Uh, I have some uh, cooperators in southern, south-central uh, south Tennessee, excuse me, that uh, I work with. They uh, assist in the uh, propagation and trialing of some of my uh, research materials and red buds, but they're also commercial propagators. So they're producing uh, red buds in the tens of thousands. And you probably saw uh, an image of Golden Falls uh, in a production setting, uh, perhaps a, a couple thousand trees out in a field propagation nursery. Quite stunning to see that. There, uh, the, the Golden Falls is more upright, is it not? More compact yeah, and upright? It is. Uh, it's the same weeping gene, but there's always a little bit of variation. Uh, Golden Falls is uh, perhaps 
Well, I, I guess I should preface my comments and say that the height of a weeping redbud is, is really dictated by uh, how it is intentionally trained up to a, a stake. Uh, for example, in a, in a nursery setting, typically they, they, redbuds are grafted. So they graft the tree at about six inches above the soil line. And then as that uh, tree grows, they train it up to a stake. And typically they're using about a, a seven-foot stake. So they train it up to the top of that seven-foot stake, and then they just let it go, and then it weeps immediately. So if it was trained up to a three-foot stake, it would grow to three feet in height. If it's trained up to a seven-foot stake, it will grow seven feet. So the height is dictated by how, how it is uh, trained initially in a nursery setting or, or in a garden setting also. Uh, but what I find with golden falls is the weeping is a little bit more abrupt, I guess is the best word. Uh, it's not uh, – Ruby Falls has somewhat of a more uh, open weeping habit. It will grow a little bit horizontally before it starts to weep. Golden Falls is a bit more abrupt in its weeping behavior. The, there is also one that you developed named Flamethrower, and that's quite striking. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting tree. And, and again, that's a relatively recent release. And uh, that is a, what we call a, a bicolor form, bicolor in regards to the foliage character. What we did with, uh, when we made the crosses to develop bicolor, uh, flamethrower, excuse me, the question we wanted to ask is, of course, there are gold leaf redbuds, golden falls, hearts of gold, and of course, there are purple leaf redbuds like forest pansy and ruby falls. We, we wanted to find out what would be the appearance or the character of a tree that we developed if it carried both the gold leaf gene and the purple leaf gene. Hmm. How, how would, what would the color of the leaf look like if you express both of those genes in the same individual? And we were just uh, really gratified to see that when you combine those two genes, you get a very unique and novel leaf color uh, where the new emerging foliage in the spring is more red than it is purple. And it goes through a transition of red to gold to bronze. Uh, it's just a, it's a stunning, stunning character. So you have on one branch at certain times of the year, you may have three, three different colors. Uh, very stunning. Uh, indeed. Uh, I hope everybody will look up uh, uh, the Golden Falls and Flamethrower, Ruby Falls, Whitewater. Uh, you also developed uh, one that is a little more traditional called Merlot, I believe. Correct. Merlot was uh, also released at about the same time as Ruby Falls. Uh, Merlot is interesting in that, uh, well, I should say that uh, in the United States, there are two species of, of redbuds in North America. There's Cirsus canadensis in the eastern U.S. has a wide distribution. 
Uh, and then in the western U.S., there's a species called Cirrus occidentalis, which actually doesn't grow very well here in the east. Uh, but in the Cirrus canadensis group, there are there are what we know as two different subspecies, very closely related to canadensis, but having slightly different character. One of those subspecies is called the Texensis form of redbud. Uh, as the name implies, it's uh, Texensis form is found in southern Oklahoma down into Texas. And the character of the Texensis form is that it is has smaller, glossy leaves, and they're much more heat and drought tolerant. So we used one of the Texensis in the, in the creation of Merlot, we used a Texensis parent crossed to a typical Canadensis form. So the goal was to develop a purple leaf form that had that Texensis glossy leaf character and the heat and drought tolerance of Texensis. Texensis are typically native to areas that perhaps get 15 to 20 inches of rainfall a year. So they're, they're very, very drought tolerant. And that, uh, that was... Uh, the origin of Merlot, that particular cross of Texensis by Canadensis, and that's been a very successful variety also. Does it have more flowers than the traditional? Um... It, it does not. It, it is, uh, Merlot is pretty typical in terms of flower production, in fact. Mm-hmm. What I have noticed with Merlot is some years, for reasons I don't reasons I don't totally understand, the flower production is a little bit less than what I'd like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has that beautiful foliage that so you have the purple foliage, but also on that glossy leaf background, which just gives it a little bit more of a uh, uh, more interest in the spring. Yeah, my, I, my wife really likes her Merlot, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where'd you get that idea, Doc? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And one other variety that I'll mention that might be of interest to your readers. Uh, when I give talks about Red Boat often. Someone in the audience invariably will raise their hand and say, Dr. Werner, I really like redbuds, but I don't like all those pods on my redbud tree. During oh, the yeah. They know they don't look too good. And I will say, well, I got just a variety for you. Uh, we've released a variety called Pink Pom-Pom, uh, and that is a double-flowered, form. Double flowering means that it has many more petals in the flower than a typical redbud. A typical redbud has five petals. It's a member of the bean family, so it looks just like a, a flower on your on your green beans. Uh, or I guess what we used to call them in Pennsylvania, string beans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, we do it. here too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so pink pom-poms, uh, by virtue of the double flower character, it is totally sterile. It does not make any pods. Oh, wow. I, have, I have had trees of pink pom-poms in my trials now in the research field since 2008. So in that 13-year period, I have never seen a single pod on a pink pom-pom. Wow. Tree. How about that? So that's right. a, for someone who doesn't want the pods in their, on their red bud, pink pom-poms is is a beautiful tree. Those beautiful double flowers are stunning in the spring. Uh, it doesn't make the pods. And the other thing about pink pom pom is it has a tech census parent also. So it has that striking uh, 
glossy leaf character typical of the Tech Census variety. So I'm, I'm really proud of that one. That's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful trait. 919-860-9783. You're welcome to call us if you'd like. And uh, we'll talk more with Dr. Denny Werner and Miss Ann and Brother Rufus. Phil Campbell coming up on the WPTF Weekend Gardener. It's 850. You're listening to the longest-running gardening show on the radio. It's the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. We're back on WPTF at 853. Mike Haley here and Clab, Rufus Edmonston. Uh, Phil Campbell is with us. Dr. Denny Werner, who was a professor, uh, distinguished professor emeritus yes. from NC State University, retired, and the whip. See, Doctor, we have we have all kinds of characters on this show <laughs> in our family here, and the whip is one of them. Good morning, Lash. Good morning from Alamance County. How's everybody? We're wonderful. Good. Well, let, let me tell you, folks. Or as my as, as my uncle Russell used to say, pretty good, mighty fine, showing yeah. up all right. The whip has not been feeling well, folks, because he's had a bad case of COVID. Oh, I'm sorry about that. You feeling uh, better? You you might you might tell them what the the consequences are of these people that. They don't believe it's real, the whip. Well, let me tell you something. It, it, the after effects uh, are something else. It, it's I'm, I'm tired. I don't have any energy. My wife's the same way. It's uh, The after effects, I think, are, are probably as bad as, as the COVID itself. Of course, it, it's a lot of people had it a whole lot worse than I've had it. Yeah. The Lord was with both of us. But, yeah, he sure was. Uh, it's it's no fun, and these people that laugh about it and they oh, it's a joke. It ain't no joke. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Well, I'm glad I'm so glad you're better. Thankful to look out here and see the trees budding, and the and the buttercups are blooming. <laughs> Makes you feel better, doesn't it? Oh yes. Except yes. it's got it's got Phil all stopped up this morning. Yeah. Those maple trees blooming. <laughs> they're they're a mess. Well, you know they don't bother me. Yeah, I'm, you're you should be thankful, Whip. Yes, That's, you should. Yeah, because it's yeah, uh, they bother me. our son and you know the police officer. He uh, oh the 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 pollen gets him every yeah, year. I bet and he so. won't go take it. He won't go get a shot or anything. He's not he's not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. It didn't bother me when I was younger. It just as I got. I, I don't know, hit about 45 or 50, uh-huh. I started having, um, yeah. and, and everybody thinks it's uh, like pine and things like that, but it's it's earlier it gets when those maples come out. They may not be out that much up there yet. Um, well, I told Rufus I'm going to take a before and after picture of our holly trees. Wow. They're loaded with berries. Mm-hmm. And when the birds, the swarm that I call them, come in, I'm going to take a picture after they get through and show you what they do because they clean it. Well, they're just well, about to clean ours here at the, nurse, at now, the Rufus, nursery. Now, Rufus, you used to have a pyrocanthin, and the birds used to get drunk off oh, of it. Oh, I told last yeah. yesterday yeah. about this big old robin one time was sitting there just eating away. Big old fat robin all of a sudden kaplunk. <laughs> <laughs> he just Passed got right out. drunk as a bird can be, hit the ground, <laughs> lolled around a little bit. Oh man! Yeah, he thought he was in Wilkes County. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you and your wife are okay, Whip. I'm, Me too. Appreciate you calling. Yes, sir, and, and I love you guys, and keep up the good work, and uh, pray for our country and our police officers. Amen. Thank you, Amen. Yes, sir. 
Oh, always right, good care, prayers. Everybody needs a good too. prayer. Dr. Warney, do you have a lot of uh, berry-making plants in your, your landscape? Yeah, I sure do. Uh, talking about hollies, as Whip did, uh, I have quite a few of the uh, winterberry holly, Alex particulata. There's an old variety called Winter Red, uh, and these are in what are known as the deciduous holly group. And as many of your uh, listeners probably know, they drop their leaves during the winter, and you have those beautiful red berries lining those bare stems, uh, uh, quite stunning. So uh, I, I find uh, those are, are great for my bird population. Birds, of course, many of the species of birds like those thickets they can protect themselves in from all the, the hawks we have around here. Oh, right. So, yeah. Uh, that I grow the winter berries, and then I do have some of the evergreen hollies. I uh, have a variety behind my perennial border called Christmas Jewel uh, that uh, does very well and typically has a, a really good berry crop. I noticed this year the, the birds stripped my winterberry hollies uh, considerably earlier than I remember in years past. Uh, those are those are gone. Oh, wow. I also have some fringe trees, and when those berries form on the fringe trees and, uh, in the summer, the birds roll through there generally in September and October and strip the berries off my off my fringe trees. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to have plants in the garden that attract those birds, those berry, those berry plants. Do you have any chokeberry, Dr. Holly? Dr. Dr. Warner? <laughs> One of those trees. <laughs> yeah. Don't have any chokeberry, no? Yeah. We've birds, got some bird, if you want one. The birds like them too. Now, Dr. Werner, I'm I'm gonna we've gone through an hour. I'm gonna offer you the opportunity to bail out if you need to. Uh, oh, here. I'm okay here. Okay, okay well, good. I just want, uh, yeah, that's great. I I just this wanted to, to make sure you weren't tired of us already. So, well, thank you. And if you get tired of me, you just oh my gosh, well, no are you way. kidding? No we way. We have learned so much this morning. Thank you. And yeah, just just sit back. We'll be back in a few minutes here yeah, on the WPT. Fine, and give everybody else in there a chance to talk. All right. <laughs> More of the weekend gardener coming up here on WPTF.